Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. I want to read a passage of the Bible that I want to work through today. Um, So if you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read verses 2 through 16. I want to read it right at the onset here, just to give you a feel of where we're going. Somebody asked me right before I was walking up here, how do you feel, Jeff? Are Are you excited? I said, well, just wait till I read the passage, and then you'll know as to whether or not I'm excited. How many people have read ahead of time and know what we're going to be reading about? You know I'm the opposite of excited right now. So um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put the words on the screen. (laughs) Are you ready? Here we go. Starting in verse 2. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Well done, Corinth, is what he's saying. But I want you to understand this. The head of every man is Christ The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Huh? For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair short or to shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Well, of course, because of the angels. An entire nine verses, Paul makes no mention of angels, and all of a sudden, there it is. It rears its ugly head. So what does that mean? We're about to find out, or not. Anyway, so he says, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of a woman. And all things, he says, are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it's her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. I mean, I gotta be honest with you, this is so self explanatory. <laughs> I mean, I mean, do you really need me to say anything about this. This is, it just makes so much sense. <laughs> so ask me the question, am I excited to get up here and do this? I, yes, I am. And here's why. Um, it is no, it is easy to understand that this is one of the most difficult passages in all of the New Testament. And I don't say that in hyperbole of my own you know, thinking. This is a passage who many people say is the most difficult passage in all of the New Testament scriptures. I could add my voice to the cacophony of antiquity that says preaching this is the most difficult uh, preach that a person will ever do. 
And, and there's a lot of things that we need to understand in this. First, I want to start with this idea. Even though it's difficult to understand, and even though I think we'll walk out of here with some ambiguity in some of this, and I have to tell you this from the onset, Paul doesn't even explain a lot of this. He just says things, and we're supposed, well, the Corinthian church for sure understood what he was mentioning, but we, some separated 2,000 years later, we're trying to struggle to understand what he means to them in the first century. So it'll be ambiguous to, this. He, to us. He doesn't really explain everything to us, but I, I know this. That this, I'm this guy, that this is the word of God. This is what God intends for us to learn from, to understand, to encounter him in. And if that's true, you and I, and this is where it gets really good for us, we might not fully understand the passage. We might feel ambiguous on some things. We might not fully understand exactly what Paul is intimating here to the Corinthian church. And yet, through the power of God's spirit, we can experience God in this passage. Now, we can come out of here maybe even more confused than we thought we were going in, and yet God can still, in, in a way that only he can do, speak to us that is helpful and um, I would even argue directional for our lives. Just by way of hands, how many people have come here to encounter God today? I just want to see what shoes I'm wearing. I don't know. I mean, we come, to, we come to church. I pray this for us, that we come to church to really encounter God. Not, not that this is the only place that we encounter God, but at a bare minimum, this should be a place that we encounter God. I mean, I'll say this. You can encounter God in the movie theaters, at, at Walmart, at, at um, dinner, at El Rodeo. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> right? Salsa, somebody. Guacamole, somebody. I'm just saying, we can, but at a minimum, we should be encountering God here. So I, I don't want us to be afraid of this passage. I don't want us to be like, oh, gosh, it really didn't speak to me. It didn't really have any applications to me this week, whatever. And listen, we can encounter God today through this passage. So I wrote a couple things down. I just want to share with you as we sort of get started. I mentioned this is a very difficult passage to understand. Some, some people even consider whether Paul wrote this or not. It seems to be sort of a little different than the rest of the, the Corinthian letter. Some people argue that maybe someone added this into the, the letter later on in, in years. Who knows if that's true or not? The word for woman and wives and man and husband are the, the same Greek word. So it, there is no Greek word for wife. It's the same word for woman. And so what, to determine that, we have to let the context of the passage determine whether it should be woman or wife. And, and there's some debate as to whether or not it should be translated as wife as it is here in the ESV. Is it, okay, is this boring all of you? Right, this is stuff I'm like in the trenches in all week. And we have to understand this. But the, the reality is this, that oftentimes this passage has been used to suppress the women's, women's voice and role in ministry in the church. Out of a, an understanding and the teaching of this passage, there are doctrinal divisions here. There are some who believe that women have a role in the church. We all agree women have a role in the church, yes? But it's just not teaching or preaching. The women can't pastor and lead. And there's another group, I would say, are more correct in their understanding that women can teach, that women can be pastors. That women can lead. I'll just say this from the outset. That Renaissance is a four-square church, which means this. We believe in women pastors. Our denomination, four-square, was started by a woman. Say amen. amen. 
She was a crazy lady who drove like in, in the depression years from New York to California in a car that she called the gospel car. Literally, she broke, it's a Guinness record. She's the only woman to traverse the entire continent of the United States by herself up to, up to this point. She lands in L.A., starts a church. People begin to gather. She starts a college and begins to train missionaries to go out and plant other churches around the United States. Our denomination was started by women. We believe women should be leaders in the church. In fact, one of my favorite pastors, part of my, it was so instrumental in the, the growth of myself as a Christian, was a woman pastor in town here. She met with me every week and kept telling me, Jeff, you're a moron. Stop doing those things. <laughs> it was so helpful. <laughs> right? I mean, all of this stuff was so great. So I just want you to know that centuries, people have looked into this passage, and they can't agree on some of this. It's difficult for us to look into this. I don't think that the Bible should ever be used as a weapon towards a group of people. I don't think this should, should say, well, because of this issue of headship and authority and whatever, women can't this, can't that. I'm just saying, in our country alone, 200 years ago, we used this book to, to say that people of dark skin should be held as property and abused. This, this book was used as a weapon against a whole race of people. I don't think that's right. I don't think we should be using it today to speak negatively to the, the people of immigrants trying to come into our country. I don't, I don't think we should be using this as a tool or a weapon to, to punish or make, make it hard for people of the LGBT community. I don't think that's what this book was intended to be. It's not, it's not an arrow to be shot at someone. It's a book that describes God's love for his people, his sending his son Jesus to redeem all people, to save all people, that they would come to know him. And in the middle of all of that, sometimes we run across a passage like this that just screams against the culture that we live in right now. The, ver the very idea of trying to say, and I'm not trying to say this, but this is what some would say, that women have no authority in the church, it just screams against us, doesn't that? So we're trying to wade through this. I just believe this, though. Across the field of the sort of uncertainty of this passage, is the Lord. And if we are faithful to just trudge across this unknown field, we'll meet him, he'll be there, we'll encounter him, and our lives will be better for it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's what I feel. So, anyways. Um, I also believe this, that in Christ Jesus, and Paul makes this distinction in Galatians chapter 3, that all people are, t are, are the same. So I, I have this passage for you here. Look here. It says that, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, which speaks to ethnic divisions. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. And there's neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's some great equality that we have in Christ Jesus. So for some to take that passage and say that some are inferior to others, I think it's just missing the point altogether there. So we have some work to do here. What's happening in this passage? It's certainly a cultural issue that Paul is addressing in the church in Corinth. So we can't just look at it you know, from the outside and apply those things to our lives. Paul's addressing an issue in the church. And what is this issue that he's speaking to? It's the issue is that some of the women were not wearing head coverings. They were taking the freedoms that, we, that Paul has been expounding to them these many weeks, right, and, and leading them to Christ. 
And they have freedoms and liberties now. And some of the women in their culture were not wearing their head coverings when they came to church. It's not even speaking of their home life or at the Walmart or anything. But at the church, that there's this issue of women not wearing head coverings. And Paul wants to address that specifically in their day. And this cultural issue, what is it, does it mean? What is this idea of head coverings? I wrote this down. We, we guess at this. We, we guess at what this means. We have no idea what this means to us. And I said this, it's okay to guess, but we need to understand um, that we can still know God and not be 100% sure in what some of these passages mean. Are, are you guys okay with that? Because I gotta be honest, with you, I, I'd like lost sleep this week. Just before I came up here, I'm praying over there and they're like, Jeff, just be confident in what you know. And I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> don't. Especially in regards to this. I know the heart of God. I know that God would want all people to know him and to understand who he is. I, I know that, that, that God doesn't want people to be abused, those types of things. So we have to be okay with being an, having some ambiguity in all of this and still trying to understand. The primary thing that God wants us to know about him is this, issues of salvation issues of holiness, issues of faithfulness. If I could just put our focus on those things, and yes, this passage is going to be challenging for us, but if we focus on those things, it will be good for us. This issue of women's head coverings and women's role in ministry, although there's some ambiguity there, um, I think we need to not hold on to them too tightly. Is that okay with you guys? So I'm setting up here, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to work through the scripture together, and I just ask God to meet us. So let's bow our heads together. God, I just thank you for what you're doing for us. Whether we understand this or not, God, you're still Lord. You're still above everything and all things. We come together to worship you and to laud you and to give thanks to everything that you do for us. God, I pray that our eyes not waver from who you are and the work that you do in our lives, that you meet us here, you be with us here, that you help us here in a way that only you can do. God, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be available to us today. We can know you more. We can trust you more because of your Holy Spirit. God, the writings of Paul might be difficult for us, but I'm asking that you help us to understand them. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Maybe some of you can already sense my trepidation as I stay close to my notes. Because, you know, I write things down because I think them through. And if I'm out here somewhere, I get myself in trouble. So I'm going to stay over here close to my notes. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> like, this is my wooby. Anybody know what a wooby is? That little blankie you had when you were a kid and you wouldn't let it go, even though you're going to kindergarten. Your mom's like, you can't take your wooby with you. This is my wooby. I'm taking it with me. All right, let's start here. Verse 2, Paul is really encouraging the Corinthian church. He, he says, I'm commending you because you remember all the things. You remember me in everything, and you maintain the traditions, even as I have delivered them to you. They're, they're being so faithful in everything that Paul has been teaching them. And it's almost like a setup. And then he pulls the rug out from underneath him. Yet, he says, verse 3, I want you to understand something. And he's about to set up an argument here. I want you to understand this. That the head of every man is Christ. I, um, I'm okay with that. The head of a wife is her husband. I'm okay with that too, I think. And then it says, and the head of Christ is God. It all makes sort of sense um, to me. 
And yet the, the question I have is, and I circled it here in my Bible, the word head, what, what does Paul mean by head here? Is this, is this a literal thing? I mean, obviously not. Not every man has a head of Christ on. This is a metaphor. Are we all in agreement with that? So we're trying to discern and determine what does head mean? It's a metaphor, right? But look here in the next verse, and we'll come back to this. But every man who prays or prophesies, verse 4, with his head, literal, covered, dishonors his head, figurative, metaphorical. Which, what is, is, it, is his, his physical head again? You see how difficult it is to, to discern this? Paul's using the same word in two different ways. Is this a literal thing? Is this a metaphorical, metaphorical thing? I'll tell you what I think. Take this with a grain of salt, throw it away if you want. I don't care. It's whatever. Like, wrestle through this with the Lord. <laughs> you know, I pray you don't just take the stuff that I chew up and spit into your mouth, right? It's the only food that you get from me. Like, wrestle through this stuff on, on your own. But he says, I want you to understand, verse 3, that the head of every, every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, but the head of Christ is God. I don't think that word head should be understood to be authority, there is a word for authority, and Paul uses it later here in verse 10. We'll get to that in a minute, if we have time. But he doesn't use the word for authority here. He uses the word head, which could have a dual meaning. It could mean authority, but he again doesn't use that word. It, but it also could mean source. Like we talk about the head of a river is the source of a river. And we come at it from that perspective, then we look at this passage a little differently. It's not hierarchical, but it actually has more to do with relationships. So if this word head means source, let's read it again and now try to understand it. Because now we've been stripped from this idea that it means authority or ruler over, but it means origin of or source to. Verse 3, I want you to understand this. That the source or the origin of every man is Christ. Okay, down with that, all right. And it says that the source of a wife is her husband. I, 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 this is speaking to the creation account that Paul will then get to in verses 8 and 9 and 7 and all that stuff. This is, has an issue of, of creation, that, that man was created, then woman was created from him. The source of a woman or a wife is man. You know the story, God puts Adam to sleep, pulls out a rib, whatever that looks like, and makes woman for him. The source of woman is a man. The source of a wife is her husband, and the source of Christ is God. This is a little funky one, Right? This is a little funky. Just know this. I believe Paul is speaking to the incarnation of Jesus as he comes to the earth. That God comes to Mary, overcomes her with the Holy Spirit. I hate to say this, but this is how it kind of works out. Impregnates her, right? And she, she gives birth to Jesus. And that source was God himself. He, he originated that idea. Does this already feel a little helpful to you? Please say yes. I just need a little. My knees are shaking right now. <laughs> He's like, you're on your own. I'm just saying. <laughs> and we can look at that and already feel um, some comfort and safety in that. that. Paul is saying every person has its origin in Christ. Every man. I mean, God created everything. Jesus was there in creation and creates everything. And again, woman comes from the man and the head of Christ is God. And then he goes into this thing, verse four, about head coverings. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, it says that it dishonors 
his head. Now, I think that second head is speaking of Christ Jesus from verse 3. The head of every man is Christ. So when he says, if a man comes together, look, and prays or prophesies. Now, catch this. This is a corporate worship issue, right? If it just said pray, we couldn't determine that. But the reason a person would prophesy is because they're with a group of people and they're edifying one another in the oracles or the things of God. We come together, we pray together, we prophesy together, we declare the things of God to other people. This is not a personal moment. This is a corporate issue. And he says that if a man does this with his head covers, he dishonors God. And every wife who prays or prophesies with her head covered dishonors her head, which he says is man. And what does all of this even mean? This idea of head coverings, just so you know, um, is also hotly contested. Is a head covering an actual piece of fabric that a woman would wear over her head? Or some people have maybe um, heard that it's her hair, that her hair is actually, and that could almost be supported by verse 15, where he talks about hair being her glory and something like that. I'll just tell you where I'm landing on this. Again, take it with a grain of salt. I think it's a physical thing, a piece of cloth that people would, that women would wear over their heads. And I think it's a cultural issue. And I say that for this reason. In Corinth, as we've discussed many times before, there were lots of pagan temples and pagan worship going on. And in some of these temples, I think the temple of Aphrodite was just outside of Corinth, it is known to have thousands of prostitutes or priestesses, if you will, that would participate with all the men and the people in the city of Corinth as they worshiped that pagan god Aphrodite. Basically, you would hook up with a priestess in acts of worship. And, and when we study that culture, those women did not wear coverings over their head. And so what Paul might be intimating, and I say might because we're trying to figure this out as we go, is that when the women use their freedom to not wear a head covering, their people are struggling, wondering whether or not they're actually worshipers of Aphrodite. Are these women prostitutes? Are they? And it's causing some confusion in the church. And you can see how this would cause confusion. And I think what's driving Paul in everything that he's saying is we want to address orderly worship. And he'll spend the next few chapters talking about orderly worship. And I think he's starting his argument here. So this head covering thing is possibly a piece of fabric. This woman is wearing her, or not wearing her <laughs> head covering, and it's associating her with promiscuity. Again, that's what the prostitutes would do. And he says, it's almost like he's saying this, I know you have freedom to do so, but for the sake of your husband and the other men in the church, don't do that. I know you can. I'm just saying you're causing all kinds of people to be confused. Now, this is not uncommon for people to speak to others in the church about that. Would you agree? Like if y'all came in here wearing nothing but bikinis, I would probably tell you to stop. Oh, I, not probably. I can take probably right out of that sentence. You don't see what I see from up here. It would be terrible for me. What a distraction that would be. I mean, think about how silly that statement is. Like, what if everyone just showed up in their bathing suits and we come together to pray and to worship God? Would, <laughs> would anyone... <laughs> would it, would anyone be focused on the Lord? I mean, maybe if it was common. 
You know, there's uh, churches in, in California, um, oftentimes on the beach, and a lot of people wear board shorts and sandals and stuff, and, and that's common practice out there, and that's not an issue for them. Culturally and contextually, it seems to fit the, them, right? But if we were doing it here, it'd be altogether something different, wouldn't it? I think maybe that's a similar metaphor here. What if we were all just doing that? And Paul's saying, that's just a distraction. No one's really focusing upon Jesus at this point, and you're causing... Um, well, yeah, as I said, a distraction. And it's not what Paul wants. It's not what I would want for us. Uh, okay, I'm gonna run out of time. I didn't, I thought I'd be short. I thought I'd be done by now. I was so terrified. They're not wearing head coverings. And he says that, uh, that you should wear a head covering. Verse 6, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should go ahead and just cut her hair short. There's this issue with length of hair. Again, it's cultural. I don't think we would take this as a principle and apply it to our lives. I think it would be silly to do that. I think there are some churches who've done that. You know, many of you know some people who probably are part of a church that says women can't cut their hair. They also say they can't wear makeup. And they say they, they have to wear denim skirts that go down to their ankles. I don't know if the denim thing's true, but it seems like everyone I see, <laughs> like they get a, a discount on denim. I don't know. I'm not making fun. I just, well, I guess I am, but I just, it's just, see, I think, I think they're making a mistake that you and I have to guard ourselves is that we can't take the cultural customs of this first century church in, in, the, in Greece, right, way over there, and apply them to our culture and context here. What we're looking for in all things in Scripture are principles that are permanent and timeless. And I think the principle we're learning is that God is not wanting disorder in worship. He's not wanting that. He wants Jesus to be glorified and, and exalted and lifted up and not to be distracted in the church. So if she's not going to cut her head, then just cut her hair short. Again, it's a cultural thing. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God. What? He's the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. And again, this, this is going back to, I think, what Paul is intimating here. This is the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 where, where God comes together amongst himself, amongst himself in the Trinity and says, Let us make man in our image. Male and female, he creates them in his image image. And the glory that mankind, both men and women possess, is they, they reveal the glory of God who created them as they go and live their life. Do you remember the, the beginning words to Adam and Eve that God spoke to them when he says, be fruitful and go into the earth, subdue it and multiply and all of that stuff. I want you to hear really what's happening. God, the creator of everything, creates mankind in his image, his image bearer. And now he says, now go into the earth and establish me everywhere that you go. And that brings glory to him. That's why missionaries travel the globe to establish God's glory in those places. That's why, that's why Derek and Tyler go to university campuses. Some would argue some of the darkest places in the, in the United States. And if you disagree with me, <laughs> you haven't been to a college campus lately. 
It's a legit dark place. But trying to establish the glory of God in those places. They were created in God's image. As his image bearer, they move forward into the earth, multiplying and taking more ground, if you will. Verse 8, man was not made from woman. Right? This is the Genesis 1 account again. But woman was made from man. We talked about this already. And it says, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. I mean, that could be almost disparaging. Or you could read that negatively. <laughs> Change words. You could read that negatively there until you understand why Adam was created for Eve. God said that it was not good for man to be alone. Remember that? And he says, I'm going to create a suitable helper for you. And the word suitable helper, helper, it just, it speaks to this person that God is going to create for Adam that's like him and unlike him to complete him. See, when the Bible says that it is not good for man to be alone, it could maybe better be translated, man by himself is not complete. That we needed a wife. Man needed a wife. And I know many men in the room, myself included, <laughs> I feel so incomplete without my wife. Totally incomplete. I lean on her more than she probably knows for most things in my life. I don't make decisions without talking to her. To be honest, the first 26 years of my life, I was a mess. And the Lord lovingly brought me a wife and she has been my helper. How many people agree with me in this? Roof, you better shake your head, son. You didn't want to say preach? Your wife's going to listen to this. You want to say anything louder? Okay. There's this help that comes from God through the spouse. So I can see that. I have no problem understanding that. And then he says, verse 10, this is why the wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, which is, again, another reason why I think it's not her hair. I think it's a picture of veil or something, a symbol of authority over her head. Where am I at? Verse 10, a symbol of authority, oh, yeah, on her head, because of the angels. Uh, me and TJ were saying this all week you know, about things. Well, Jeff, why are you going to get tacos for lunch? And I would say, because of the angels, <laughs> right? <laughs> so every, every, everything that was questioned in our day, we just said, because of the angels. You should try it. It's a lot of fun. Jeff, why do you guys turn your music up so loud? Because of the angels. And our band is awesome, I'm just saying, right? So anyway, um, Nevertheless, verse 11, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of a woman. All things are from God. If you can't see the equality that Paul sees for both men and women here, you're just not reading it the way I'm seeing it. One is not subjugating the other. They are created equally, both of them. And God brings them together. And there is a role, don't get me wrong, there is a role of husband and wife that we could probably address. And Paul does some of that in Ephesians chapter 5. And I think that would be very helpful in today's world as well. But that's not what he's getting into. This is not role distinction. This is equality. God has created men and women equal. And I would argue they have equal roles in the church. And if that, that could be a struggle for you, not for that, 
I apologize. I don't know what else to say. It's just how I see the, this here. And he says, verse 13, so then judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman or a wife to pray to God without her head covered or with her head uncovered? You have to decide this. Culture all around you says that this is how women sort of operate. This is, this is how they know that this woman is not single. She's got her head covered. They know that she's taken. This is, not be, this is almost like the wedding ring of their day. If there's a, maybe a kind of an equivalent, like when we get married, we put rings on each other, and it's a symbol that this person is, is married to someone else. Men, just look at me for a minute. Could you imagine if your wife, every time she goes out with her friends on the weekend or whatever, she takes her wedding ring off and sets it on the nightstand and says, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Like, there's not a man here who would be okay with that. Not a husband here. I, I would lose my ever-loving mind about that. And he's saying the same type of thing. This is, a, this is the cultural way that women and men knew that they were together. If a man was walking down the street with a couple women and their heads were uncovered, the assumption was that those were his prostitutes. That's the assumption. And, and, and so when you're walking behind your husband or next to your husband and you don't have your head covered, everyone's looking at your husband like he uses prostitutes. So for the sake of your husband, for the sake of this, just wear your head covered is all he's saying. And again, this is, this is not a maxim given to us from Paul that says women have to cover that. You hear this? But this is what's happening in, in their day. But if a woman has long hair, where, where am I at? Verse 14. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? Does not nature teach this? What he's saying is, doesn't, doesn't the culture around you already tell you this naturally? Like when you see guys walking around with long hair, don't, don't, don't you see them as a disgrace? That's, again, it's all cultural. It's cultural. I think guys with long hair is awesome. And when I was at ISU 20-some years ago, I think I had the longest hair of any man on campus. I brag about that. I was a stud. I'm just saying. It's just a, it's just a, a cultural issue here. I, I listened to some pastors this week on YouTube. That's fun to do. Go Google 11, 2 through 16, and get popcorn and just watch these people just expound craziness out there. One guy... Uh, was talking that, you know, men have to keep their hair short. And if not, they're not Christians. And women have to keep their hair long. If not, they're not Christians. It was silly and funny at the same time. And in verse 16, I'll just finish with this. If anyone is inclined to contentious, to contentiousness or whatever, and we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. He says, the idea is that there would just be some harmony, some unity together in the church. That's the thrust of this. Just that we can come together with no distractions, worship the Lord, serve each other in a way that God wants us to serve each other and honor everyone involved. I, I feel okay with that. Can I stop there? Someone's like, please. <laughs> please stop. Um, I think
I would be dishonest to myself and to all of you if I don't ask God to do something now. This, this whole morning, this whole week, actually, I was, as I've already said, I was just asking that even though this passage is tough, God, I want you to show up. I want people to see you, to encounter you, to, to feel your embrace, to be moved by you in some tangible way today. So I would not be honest with myself if I don't actually ask God to do that right now. So I'm going to pray that prayer that scares some people and scares me too sometimes. The band's going to come back up. We're going to go back into a time of worship. I'm going to ask God to show up in a way that just makes sense. That we'd have order in it, that it would be God honoring in it. We'd honor each other in all of that, but that God would show up in a way that makes sense to you you'd hear from him. Maybe it's in the lyrics of one of the songs that we're singing. Maybe it's just a thought that pops into your head. You ever have that thought that just pops into your head in the middle of a song and you're going, get out of my, my head. Why am I thinking about that? Except the Lord is going, listen to this. I want you to hear this. So maybe a thought will pop into your head while we're singing a song. And it's in that moment you can, you can thank and rejoice that God is bringing some things to your remembrance. Maybe some of these things are like issues in your life that you have yet to confess or repent of. And because of that, the, the, there's been much shame and condemnation coming against you. So when you try to worship God, you feel dirty and guilty because of that thing. And I'm here to say Jesus has come to remove all of that. And you can worship God completely and fully. I don't even need to know what you did two days ago. I don't even need to know. But some of you have shame from Friday night. It could be the road rage that you experienced. It could have been some decisions you made. It could have been the late night text that you sent. The, I don't know what it was, but there's some things in your life that is hindering you from fully experiencing the love of Jesus. I'm just saying, in the middle of all these songs, if God would show up in a way and show that to you, would you respond by repenting and confessing and returning to him? I'm asking God to do something that only he can do. I can't even make this happen. I can't, I'm no magician, right? I can't make this happen, but I'm asking God to do it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our time together. It says that um, in scripture that the Holy Spirit is power. It's power. The same Greek word is translated as dynamite in the English, (laughs) that there's power. And I just ask God that you would come in a powerful way today. God, we may have gotten lost in the weeds, if, if you will, of this passage, but I pray that you come through in a strong way. And I pray that people here come to see the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. I pray uh, people would, would be liberated to worship you. They'd, they'd have no shame nor condemnation upon them. They would feel free and liberated to worship. God, I pray for the visitors that might be here today going, I have no idea what's happening in this place. I pray they experience around them genuine salvation, genuine worship of Jesus not some 
fake, puffed up type of worship, but genuine worship, God. I pray these things. Not for our sake, Lord, but for your sake. God, we love you. We love your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that you come in a way that's helpful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.